I have experienced a lot of frustration and anxiety this week. Can I tell you about it? Y'all are so good to me. I've been going to the hospital a lot, almost every day for the past 11 days, sometimes twice a day. Different times during the day, morning, noon, and even at night. And I noticed that when the shift changes, so do the rules. And, and sometimes the rules change during the, the same shift. So on my first visit, the, the person I was visiting that was hungry and thirsty, so I said to the nurse, may I go and, and get something to eat and drink for my friend? Absolutely not. It's against the rules. No food, no drink from the outside allowed. I'll order something. Okay. The next day, my friend requested some Gatorade, but by this time I know the rules, right? You can't bring in Gatorade. So I say to the nurse, may we have some Gatorade? Well, we waited and we waited. 45 minutes later, no Gatorade. So I said, what about the Gatorade? Oh, we're out of Gatorade. But... You can go to the cafeteria and buy some Gatorade. I'm like, but yes, uh, okay. So I went to the cafeteria and bought four Gatorades for my friend. So I bring the Gatorades back, but now I have to face the nurses at the admitting desk. You can't bring that Gatorade back here. But the nurse just told you can't bring that Gatorade back here. And I said, yes, ma'am. Okay, that part of the story is not true. (laughs) I did not say yes, ma'am. Suffice it to say, my friend got her Gatorade. The next day, my friend got moved to a a new unit. And so on one day, a very friendly nurse welcomed visitors to the room and even took a nice, comfortable chair and put it by the bed for a nice, comfortable visit. Come, come, come to the room. Visit the room. Okay, fine. The next day. I go visit my friend, I walk my friend back to the room, enter the room, deposit my friend on the bed, exit the room, and I'm going toward the exit of the unit when I hear, Sir! Sir! I turn around, are you talking to me? Yes, I'm talking to you. Sir, you're breaking the rules. You are breaking the rules. No one is allowed in a patient's room, ever, never. You're breaking the rules. And I said, but but yesterday the chair? And so I said, yes, ma'am. Okay, that part of the story is not true either. I did not say, yes, ma'am, I can't help it. I was so frustrated by the shifting rules of a capricious staff. And so now I have become nervous and anxious and paranoid. And so when I approach the building, I start to twitch like this. And my eyes start to dart around. What what shift is this? Who's on? Am I going to have to be sneaky or can I just help my friend? Are they going to... Uh, smile at me or are they going to frown at me? And I don't know the answer to that question. And that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. Who knows the answer? So I've discovered that life is not peaceful. And life is not productive when you don't know the rules, when you never know what is allowed or you never know what's expected. You can't thrive. And that's not the kind of life that God has for his people. He doesn't want us living in spiritual anxiety or spiritual paranoia. He's got something much better for us than that. And that's what we're going to see as we return this morning to Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28. Remembering that we are studying the book of Deuteronomy because in this book, God prepared his people to live really well in the land that he was giving to them. 
And that's what we want as a church. We want to live well here where God has placed us. We want transformation to come to our own lives. And we want to partner with God in his reclaiming and redeeming and restoring work that he's doing in the lives of those around us. And so this morning, we'll be well on our way to experiencing that wellness when we submit our lives to an unchanging God. Trust in him. Rest in him. We'll be well on our way to experiencing that wellness when we commit ourselves to living by the word of God. And we'll be well on our way to experiencing that wellness, transformation to our own culture when we uncompromisingly tell them the unchanging truth of the unchanging God. That's what I hope we'll do and what we'll accomplish in this passage. So if you have your Bibles open, I'm going to ask you to stand. Deuteronomy chapter 27. Beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, Keep all these commands that I give you today. When you have crossed the Jordan into the land the Lord your God is giving you, set up some large stones and coat them with plaster. Write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you. A land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. And when you have crossed the Jordan, set up these stones on Mount Ebal, as I commanded you today, and coat them with plaster. Build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. Do not use any iron tool upon them. Build the altar of the Lord your God with field stones and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Sacrifice fellowship offerings there, eating them and rejoicing in the presence of the Lord your God. And you shall write very clearly all the words of this law on these stones you have set up. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask now that through the power of your Spirit you would give us understanding of these ancient words. Mindful, Lord, that they reflect truth about you our unchanging God. So teach us your truth and use that truth to transform our lives so that we live well for you and live well in this place that you've planted us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week we noted that chapter 27 begins the fourth section of the five sections of the book of Deuteronomy. And in this section, God is walking his people through this process of ratification of the covenant, this agreement that God is entering into with his people. As they do the things God has commanded, they are saying, yes, Lord, we agree to the terms of this covenant. You will be our God and we will be your people. Last week was a bit of a flyover of this ratification process. But this week I want to look at the actual process a little more closely. Because in this process, God is communicating truth about himself, who he is. And he's communicating truth about who we should be and how it is that we should live our lives. So let's look at this process 
and talk first about these large stones. In these eight verses, God tells his people three times that they are to set up these large stones. Two times in these verses, God tells them that they are to plaster these large stones. And twice in these verses, God tells them that they are to write all the words of the law on these stones. See, God knows that we are visual learners. He knows that we remember far more of what we see than what we hear. And so these stones have a purpose. They are like ancient billboards. You know, you and I pass billboards quickly. 60, 70 miles an hour, right? But in that brief time, they have an intellectual and an emotional impact on us. A billboard can produce desire in us. I want that car in that setting. Or I want those clothes, and on those clothes, when I have those clothes, I want that to be my body and my face. All those things. Maybe there's a cute little puppy, and they're getting our emotions, and it's a billboard for saving the animals. But my new favorite billboard is on 26. And you've probably seen this billboard. It takes me through a range of emotions. First, it makes me worry. Then it makes me think. And then it makes me laugh. I'm going to describe this billboard for you. On the left of this billboard is a sign of Trump and Hillary. Now you know where the worry comes from. Enough to get me agitated. It's turmoil within me. In the middle of this billboard, written very largely, is this question. Moving to Canada? So my turmoil changes to mental processing. Am I moving to Canada? (laughs) Then comes the point of the sign that says, moving to Canada, we can sell your home. The billboard is for a real estate agent. And I laughed out loud the first time I saw it. It's brilliant. Just eight words, 11 syllables, but it grabs your emotions. It grabs your mind. And even though my very own son is a real estate agent, and even though one of my dearest friends is a real estate agent, when I move to Canada, I'm calling that guy to sell my house. (laughs) These stones are like ancient, brilliant billboards. Visually, these stones were intended to, to engage the people. Mentally, they were to engage the people. They were to elicit an emotional response from them. Well, what response? Clearly, large stones in the ancient world and even in our world today suggest permanence. Large, heavy stones. The wind doesn't blow them away. The wind, the the water doesn't wash them away. Fire doesn't burn them up. And so, stones represent permanence. What is God communicating by these billboards? He isn't going anywhere. His word is is not going anywhere, and neither are going to change. Neither are going to change. Now, that might strike you as a little inconvenient right now, depending on what you're trying to accomplish in your life. Because maybe it's true that the Word of God won't budge for you or won't bend to allow you to do whatever it is that you want to do. But that being true, ultimately, 
this truth should be a comfort to us that God is not always changing. God and his word can be depended upon. God isn't constantly re-imaging himself or rewriting what is true to accommodate the times. What God is now, who God is now, he has always been and he forever will be. So look to the stones and remember, God is unchanging. He's forever. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Look to the stones. Remember that they represent strength and safety, both of which we find in the Lord. And so we look to the stones and we take comfort along with the psalmist who writes, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. If God did not want his people to be comforted by that truth, he would not have inspired the writer of the book of Hebrews to write that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away. See, God doesn't intend that we live lives of nervousness and spiritual paranoia that accompanies what is constantly changing. The nurses, I don't know, the spouse, the roommate. You got to kind of test the mood, assess it before you know how to approach them in the morning or if you should even approach them in the morning and how it is that you should go about doing that. No, God is not like that. God clearly states to his people exactly when he will smile on them, bless them, and when he will frown on them, not bless them. So look now in Deuteronomy chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. God says in his word, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations on the earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you. If you obey the Lord your God, you'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Now look in verse 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land and the calves of your herd and the lands of your flocks. You'll be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. You see, that never changes. Heartfelt obedience to these words written on these stones will always bring the smile of God and disobedience will always bring a frown from God. We can count on it. And so when we understand what God is telling us about himself and his foreverness and the unchanging permanence of his truth, then we can sing with emotion from 
a deep place, a thankful place. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of changing with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. We can sing how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. We can sing his oath, his covenant, his blood support us in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way. Thou still art all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. This is the passion of the Apostle Peter who writes in his very first letter, the very first chapter, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. There's permanence, right? Permanence of new life and living hope. Peter continues, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And then Peter goes on, to quote Isaiah, to show the continuity, the faithfulness and truthfulness of the word of God from Isaiah to his own time. And he writes this, For all people are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. See, the word of God is not going away. And the word of the Lord is not going to change. You and I might rejoice in that fact. But our culture may not. Because ours is a culture of change like no other. We expect change in our lives all the time. We're nobody's fool. When we walk out of the store just having purchased the new iPhone 6, we know it's already obsolete iPhone 7 will be here soon. We know that. That really trendy, cool business, the hip, cool millennial started. We love it. We don't even look for it 12 months later because we know what happened. That hip, cool millennial sold that business to somebody else and he took the money and has moved on to another place. Change all the time. Re-imaging, rebranding, that's the name of the game. So we've got to remember that God is not going to revamp. He's not going to redesign or re-image himself or his word for a changing world. Or even for you. Or even for me. His truth is not going to change. And let me tell you this. New truth is not going to come along. Maybe a more convenient truth. So what? We look to the stones. If our own lives will be transformed, listen, if our own lives will be transformed, we've got to get them in line with the unchanging word of God. 
We have to. We've got to quit the thinking that ancient words are just that for a faraway time and a faraway place. We've got to, to, to quit the thinking that if God spoke now, he would speak differently because, you know, somehow we're different. We're, we're an exceptional generation. Please. Not true. God will not change. Neither will his truth. So if we'll not conform our lives to the unchanging word of God, we'll not be transformed. And neither will our culture. Look to the stones. And remember, our culture, like every culture of all time, must fit our lives into the word of God. But here's the good news. Fitting our lives into the word of God simply means that you and I are living our lives with and living our lives for Jesus because he is the living word of God. In the beginning was the word. There's the permanence of God's word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Permanent, unchanging, eternal. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Again, the author of Hebrews writes, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. In these last days, Jesus is the last word. In these last days, Jesus is the last word. Jesus is the period at the end of God's truth. And you and I misunderstand the New Testament. If we believe that the New Testament is God changing his mind, because, well, you know, God ran the numbers, And decided the Old Testament thing wasn't working very well, so he better try something new. No. Jesus was always the plan. It's just that he wasn't called Jesus the first time he's mentioned in Scripture. He was called seed or offspring. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God speaks to Satan after Adam and Eve have sinned. And he says to him, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So Jesus was always the plan. Always the one who would take care of our biggest problem. This propensity that humans have to make God frown. God smiled on Adam and Eve. Gave him the entirety of the Garden of Eden. It's yours to enjoy except for one tree. Don't eat of it. But they gave in to the temptation of Satan. You know the story. And they did eat. And that brought on the frown of God. But in the very face of disobedience, in the very moment of disobedience, God promised one was coming. And the one who was coming was going to perfectly obey the law of God. Even this law written on these plastered stones. He would give that perfect obedience then to us. And there is the grace of the Lord. Think of it this way. Moses sat in judgment over God's people. That's what God told him to do. 
And so here's a woman brought before Moses. She was caught in adultery. This woman did what she did not have to do. This woman did what she knew she was not supposed to do. And so now the law must be fulfilled. But then this woman comes before Jesus. And he says to her, I do not condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Here's the deal. The rules have not changed. Adultery is still sin. Jesus calls it sin, and he instructs this woman, stop sinning. The difference is the condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus took the penalty of sin for us. So Moses' decision is taken by him. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The rules haven't changed. The price of sin must be paid. It's just that Jesus paid it for us, so we are not condemned. We're forgiven, and we're sent on our way to stop living a life of sin. God hasn't changed. The truth has not changed. It will not change. Set up stones, God says to his people. Remember the permanence of my word. Remember the permanence of my plan. You and I will live well in this land when we live by the word of God. We will live well in this place and we'll be a blessing to this place when we stand firm on God's truth without compromise. And when we call people to live their lives in accordance with the grace of the gospel, which says... That we come to faith, we come to God through faith in Christ alone. No compromise, even when we're vilified for it. Verse 2 says that the stones must be coated with plaster. And that means lime, and lime means white. And the law must be written or engraved in these stones, and that means black. So here it is, God's law, written in black and white, on stones that are permanent. Verse 4 tells us the stones are to be placed on the mountain. Verse 8 tells us the words must be written very clearly. Put it all together. Black, white, high up, clearly written on stones that will not blow away or wash away or burn up. If God intends His word... To be clearly, legibly written in a place where it can be seen by all. Who are we to believe that it's okay to make God's word fuzzy? Who are you, you and who am I to compromise God's truth? To blur the lines so that those who look at our lives can't see the truth of God. So that those who listen to our words don't hear us speaking the truth of God. Listen, I know this. Fuzzy wins more friends. It does, doesn't it? Fuzzy wins more friends. But listen, winning the love of everybody in your life, I promise, will be an empty victory for you when it comes at the cost of compromising what you know to be true. 
when it comes because you're always mute about the Word of God because it's inconvenient for your life or for the lifestyles of those around you. What more could God do to impress upon His people the importance of His Word and its unchanging nature? Oh, I know. (laughs) One more thing. Really briefly, look in verse 5. What does God require His people to put beside the stones upon which His word is to be written. Verse 5 tells us, an altar. And this is part of the ratification process for this treaty. In the ancient Near East, when a treaty was written, and this treaty has been written between God and his people, then they joined together in some shared act of worship. That was part of the process. And that's why God forbids his people in his, his word to make treaties or to make political alliances with other nations because it would mean that they must compromise with those other nations in an act of worship at an altar. A little bit of your God, a little bit of my God, let's put it in a bag, mix it up, and see what comes out. No. Look to the stones, look to the altar. They speak of no compromise. You will have no other gods before me. No compromise. Believe me, I know as well as you do how unpopular it is to say such words in 2016. But nevertheless, they must be said. As God's word was to be placed high on the mountain for us, for all to see. As God's word was to be written clearly for all to read, so it must be today because God never changes. His word never changes. It must be spoken clearly. It must never be compromised. You and I, by faith, have got to believe this about the Word of God. If blessing is to come to our lives, if transformation is to come to our lives, it's as we live by the unchanging Word of God. It's our only hope. It's our only hope. You and I have got to tune out the noise of the culture shouting at us. And by faith, believe that God's word, the gospel, when it's lifted high, when it's clearly spoken, when it's never compromised, this is the very thing that God will use to reclaim, to redeem, and to restore the lives of people around us. Believe me, it is their only hope, no matter what others may say to us. The only way we will live well in this place and make a difference in this place for Jesus' sake is to submit our lives to the unchanging God and to submit our lives uncompromisingly to His unchanging truth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You. These verses are a demonstration of your love for us. Your clarity. You don't leave us wandering. You don't leave us guessing. You don't leave us in a a state of spiritual anxiety or paranoia. You speak so clearly to us. Your truth, black and white. And you give us your spirit to help us understand how that unchanging truth 
is lived out in our lives in 2016. So we thank you that that's the kind of God that you are. I pray that you will help us be people who look to the stones, look to your unchanging word. Cause us to be people, even when it's difficult, even when we believe it will cost us everything or cause us pain. Help us, Lord, to be bold enough to to trust you, to believe you, and to submit to your truth. Thank you, Lord, for your eternality and the eternality of your plan. Lord, we've read words that span thousands and thousands of years without changing. You're consistent, you're faithful, you're true. Help us to know you in these ways and our lives. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.